Welcome to the Rookie Leaders Podcast, the podcast of veteran leaders offering leadership lessons to newbies. Whether you're brand new to leadership or expanding your leadership responsibilities, this podcast will provide the knowledge and experience you need to lead courageously and effectively. This podcast is a production of the Credible Leadership Group, a coaching and consulting firm devoted to your leadership development, career advancement, and personal growth. Learn more at CredibleLeaders.com. Now, here's your host, Michael Tanner. Well, hello there, friend. Michael Tanner here, your host. Welcome to another episode of the Rookie Leaders Podcast. I am honored, really, really blessed that you would choose to spend your time with me. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, today I've got a, another special interview with you with my good friend, Sean Glaze. Sean was on the podcast just a, a couple of weeks back. And in the midst of our recording that, or maybe uh, in our conversation prior to recording that podcast episode, I came to know that Sean has a new book that has just recently uh, been published. And so I just wanted to have him back on the podcast to tell you a little bit about the, the book, a little bit about the content of the book. I've had the privilege of reading the book. I got an advanced copy of that uh, from Sean and was able to uh, to read the book. And it's a great book. The, the book is entitled Staying Coachable. And you definitely want to, uh, to pick up this book. You definitely want to read this book. It's got tremendous insight. And I really love how uh, you know, Sean kind of in, in the same uh, spirit, if you will, of uh, Pat Lencioni or, or maybe others, uh, Sean teaches you the principles of staying coachable through a story. And I think it's a really, really powerful book. And I highly encourage you to uh, to check that out. But before I jump into the, uh, the interview with Sean, I just wanted to say uh, uh, how much I appreciate the response and the feedback that I received from last week's podcast episode. Last week's podcast episode, I shared with you all uh, kind of this um, this story, if you will, of a, a group coaching session that I had where at the end of that group coaching session, I just kind of uh, impromptu way just said to the folks uh, that were in that uh, group coaching session, I just said, I love you guys because that's what leaders do. And I later explained to that group what I meant by that. And, and I used last week's episode to also explain what I mean by that. And I shared in the podcast, I was a little nervous about the idea of airing that podcast episode. It was just a, a bit of a topic, if you will, that I, I felt a little uneasy about uh, sharing publicly here on the podcast. If you're not familiar with that, you can head back to episode number 72 and listen to that podcast episode. But I thank you so much for the tremendous uh, feedback that I got from and encouragement that I got from many of you. Thank you so much for that. I also, as a part of that, I've gotten a number of questions about coaching uh, that I offer. So I would encourage you to head over to credibleleaders.com forward slash coaching, credibleleaders.com forward slash coaching. You can read about the options there. You can email me from a forum that, that is there and you and I can talk about the options that are available to you related to leadership coaching. So I, I encourage you to take advantage of that. CredibleLeaders.com forward slash coaching and uh, connect with me there and we can figure out what kind of coaching needs you might have. But thanks again so much to those that reached out to me and encouraged me uh, from the content from last week's episode. Now, uh, I'm not going to dive in. I, just two weeks ago, I talked to you about who Sean Glaze is, but most importantly to this um, this podcast episode, Sean is an author. He's got multiple books out there, but just recently, I believe it's his fourth book, 
just recently here, he has published his book called Staying Coachable. And so here is my conversation with Sean Glaze about his new book. Sean Glaze, welcome back to the Rookie Leaders Podcast. It's so good to have you because I'm excited to share with the audience your latest book, Staying Coachable. Welcome to the podcast. And thanks for having me. I'm really excited to share, hopefully, some some valuable nuggets with your audience and, and thrilled to be here and talk with you about the book, so, Michael. Yeah, you know, I know we had you on the podcast just a couple of weeks back, and and uh, I, I think, I, I hope we did. I hope we kind of whet the appetite of the listeners that you, you've got a new book coming out. You've been mm-hmm. so gracious to share that with me, and I've had a chance to read it now. Uh, ahead of this uh, this recording, I didn't feel like I could have a good conversation with you if I didn't first read the book. And and uh, I, you know, I just got to say, it's a great book. I think it's filled with uh, tremendous wisdom. Uh, and I know in this recording, you and I are probably going to talk a lot about the book. But I know mm-hmm. we'll probably also kind of nerd out a lot on uh, uh, coaching and sports and maybe basketball because I love the fact that uh, a lot of the story that is in your staying coachable book is related to basketball. And so that really resonated with me, I have to say. And I know it does you as well. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, having spent 20 years in the classroom as a teacher and a basketball coach, uh, I think as I began to write, you know, you kind of write what you know. And obviously yep. it's kind of leadership parables and kind of taking stories to carry some nuggets of wisdom that hopefully the readers and leaders and teammates can improve from and enjoy. But uh, but the idea of a father and a son mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the frustrations of, uh, of, of the challenges of change, whether it's professional or athletic, uh, is something I think that a lot of readers will be able to, uh, to uh, feel – yeah. Resonates with them. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with that. You know, before we hit the record button, you and I were both talking about family and how important it is to us and, and all that. And I do have to say that I, I really kind of loved that part of of the the story that is in your book of a, of a father and a son kind of going through this journey, if you will, together. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, but before we kind of dive into the details of the book, here's here's a question I would really like to ask you because... I know that um, writing a book, getting it published, and, and then doing all the work to promote it and, and all that, I know that there's a lot of hard work and a lot of time and effort put into that. So I'd like to I'd like to first understand why. You know, why did you feel the need to put in all that work to get out a book uh, like you did? You know, that is a really interesting question, the way you asked it, because certainly I've been asked, you know, how, what is the work like? And what is the, because when you write a book, you know, and the very first time I wrote one, it was largely for the same reason I'll share with you in a moment. But as soon as you wrote it, you felt like, man, I'm done. And you're proud of yourself. And you look at, you know, the, the stack of paper or the file that's on the computer and you kind of pat yourself on the back and then you take a deep breath. And five minutes later, you realize you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really right. happen? Well, <laughs> somebody writes a book and nobody knows that it's been written. Does it really even matter? And so writing it, I think, ends up being about maybe 15 or 20 percent of the process. It's the whole promotion yes. and getting it out and being able to share it with people that makes it valuable. And, I, and I, oftentimes we use the analogy. I've got a whole lot of paint 
in cans in my garage. And it's the stuff that if it's just sitting there and not being used, it, it's not anything that people benefit from. It's the same way I think with books. And, yeah. and so that's really the part of the job that has been the largest learning curve for me is recognizing and hopefully picking up little bits and pieces from people who have been fantastic mentors to me uh, of what it means to begin to build a book launch and to put out some of the promotional stuff and to try and market and to share with groups and leaders and, and people who are going to benefit from the message. And that really is why I wrote the book. And, and I think back to the very first story I wrote, which was the unexpected leader. Um, and it really is focused upon a high school basketball player mm-hmm. and his need or, or desire to have a positive impact on a team where there's not a very strong leader. So how do you lead from the middle? How do you lead without a title, without the, the, the position or authority? How do you still influence people and have that impact and create a positive outcome and result? And that's something that I felt like my athletes, when I was still coaching, they needed to hear that needed to learn. Cause again, no matter what we're doing, whether it's as fathers, whether it's as coaches, whether it's as bosses or managers, our job is to build leaders who can survive and thrive without us if we've equipped them well enough. Right. And, uh, and so I wrote that first story because it was on my heart and it was something that I felt like I had to do. Uh, and the first one came a whole lot harder and, and was much longer and more drawn out of a process as you learn kind of how you go about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this last one, staying coachable probably took me uh, between eight and 10 weeks after I'd kind of gotten the, the backbone and the skeleton of the story and you start to put together what that content's going to be and you build the story around it. Uh, and then it's really doing a good job of tweaking the story and getting the characters and, and the content to, to be hopefully yeah. smoothly enough incorporated that it's something that's enjoyable for the reader. Yeah. Well, I, I gotta imagine that you, especially because since basketball is kind of uh, central to the story that you've written, I'm, I'm certain that, um, all the years that you spent in practices and on the court with basketball teams and all, I'm sure that that content somewhat just kind of naturally flowed. And, and, uh, I have to imagine that, uh, some of these stories, uh, or some of the aspects of the story that's in your book were probably, you know, realistic encounters that you had w- with students on the basketball court, I'm sure. But is there, uh, uh other than just, this has been your experience for these years on a basketball court and as a coach and all that. Is there a reason that you chose to write a book that is telling the, these lessons of staying coachable in story form rather than just giving us these four questions? We'll talk about the questions in just a moment, but rather than just tell us what the questions are and giving us the data on them, is there a reason you chose story? Yeah, well, and we, we've talked before, and I know obviously really enjoyed our conversation in, in the previous podcast, you allowed me to be on and share. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even earlier before we started recording this conversation, we talk about other authors and what we enjoy reading. I've, I've obviously, you read biographies to learn and, mm-hmm. and I'll entertain myself occasionally with fiction, but the, the leadership stuff and, and the personal development stuff I've really enjoyed are things like Bob Berg's Go-Giver and Lencioni's right. five, you know, uh, things with the team. And, and so those are the things that probably influenced me early. Obviously, you know, John Gordon is another one that's kind of in that same realm to, mm-hmm. to use story and to use that as the uh, vehicle that carries some of the 
information that people are going to be a little bit more willing to not just understand, but hopefully to implement when they see the impact. And then to give them not just the story and information, but you know, what are some resources to apply that? And so with each of my books, if you were to go to my website, they're at the bottom of that book page. I've got an application guide that people can download completely for free in order to use that to take the information and really apply it to their lives. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I think I told you before uh, we hit the record button that one of my favorite authors is Pat Lencioni that like you just referenced. And, and I just, I like his writing style where he has the fable at the first part of the book. And then he, he reiterates the learning that you have from that story. But I think one of the things that's so powerful about that for me as the reader is that in his stories, I can, I can literally see that playing out. And, And oftentimes I can, I feel to the point, well, I, I've experienced that exact same conversation or what, you know, his, his book, the, the five dysfunctions of a team. Many times when I, I read about that team and some of the team meetings that they had, I thought to myself, man, was he in my meeting? meeting? <laughs> Is he talking about my meeting? And as I read through your story and, and especially as I read some of the reactions that uh, Max I believe, I, yeah, Max was the, the student. Wallace was the dad, I think, Max, and then Gail was the coach. So um, I, I was reading through some of the comments and some of the things that Max was saying and thinking, and I was like, wow, yeah, I, I've felt that way before, or I've said that yeah, before. You, you've got sons, you've had that same conversation. It, exactly, same exactly. So I think that just, that's what makes the learning of these lessons so powerful is that they're presented in a story that you, again, you almost feel like, well, has Sean been reading my mail or something? Because he he's telling my story. So I think that's what's so powerful about it. Yeah, i tell you a really neat part of the book is that when I'm doing some of the research early on, because again, my background is in, you know, high school literature, classrooms and locker rooms, and it's only in working with corporate groups over the last decade or so and doing team building and speaking events for different industries that have had the occasion to have conversation with other leaders. And you realize how, you know, building a team culture in a basketball locker room or football locker room is very, very similar to building that same team culture in a construction team or organization or in a banking you know, industry or in a medical team. Uh, and, and so that's one of the things that's been interesting, but having some of those conversations as I was beginning to put together this book specifically about staying coachable, because I did want it to resonate not just with athletes from Max's perspective and some of the challenges and frustrations he was dealing with, but also with Wallace is going through some changes in his professional life. And how does that necessarily uh, become something where this same content of staying coachable, these same four questions help Wallace in his professional life, you know, to, to be a little more successful. So some of those conversations I had with leaders in some different industries about what some uncoachable people and some of those coaching conversations might've been, you know, I've, I've drawn some of that from three or four other conversations that I had with leaders in different industries and, and tried to make it as realistic as I could. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the book too, is as I said earlier, it was clear that Wallace and Max father and son, they're going through the same journey of this kind of this revelation about have they been being coachable max as it relates to his high school basketball team, but then Wallace, as it relates to his job and, and, you know, some of the struggles that he's had there. And I just enjoyed kind of seeing again, seeing them go through this journey together as father and son. But I think it's so important. What you're, what you're talking about is that 
staying coachable is it's not just an athletic thing, uh, right? It's it's not just oh, sports. Okay. It's it's corporate. Yeah. It's it's really life. It's yeah, it's in every team you've ever been on, and we can all think about teams, not just that we're working on now, but teams that we worked on previously where there was that talented individual who wasn't really coachable and, and talent becomes toxic yeah. or talent becomes unproductive if it doesn't stay coachable. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that you ask again about why I wrote the book, you know, after, you know, I tried to share a little bit of what you know, some of my journey had been in terms of learning with the team culture and what it means to be a great teammate. One of the things that I kept coming back to that was the reason for, for this book originally was regardless of industry, regardless of sport or circumstance, your success is going to be largely based upon how coachable you are. Are you willing to learn and ask yourself these questions in the four different areas that allow you to improve? Because I think that, uh, you know, and Bill Gates, you know, said very famously in a TED talk a few years ago that everybody needs a coach. He has a coach for playing bridge. Uh, and I think that it's not just about needing a coach. I think we all have coaches available to us. I think what happens is sometimes we get comfortable and complacent and we stop being coachable. Yeah. Well, let, let's, um, so I, I want to get into specifics of the book a little bit, but let's start with just the front page. So we've talked about it already. Uh, the title is staying coachable. So before we dive into the, the subtitle in those four questions, highlight a little bit better for us. What does it mean to you, this idea of someone being coachable? Well, I have shared, whether it was with athletes years ago or corporate organizations more recently, a very, very simple and hopefully usable definition of what it means to be coachable. And being coachable means two things. First is you want to be better. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is everybody you will ever talk to will say, yes, I want to be better. They will enroll themselves. We all want to be better. But the second part of that is the more difficult. You have to be willing to change. Right. And I think a lot of times we want to be better on our terms, the way that we want to get better. And if you only do what you already know, you're not going to necessarily improve anywhere near as quickly as improving based upon the success that others might be able to share if you really appreciate and apply it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And uh, I think I might have actually mentioned this to you. Uh, the, the last time we were recording a podcast episode, but definitely as I was reading your book, uh, I was reading and I was I was just anticipating that Gail might say something that my high school basketball coach used to say to us all the time. And it's that everyone wants to be better, but not everyone <laughs> wants to get better. Right. And, yep. and what he meant was not everyone wants to put in the work that's Absolutely. necessary to get better. Right. Yeah. Everybody wants to be better. But are you willing to do the changes, make the changes, and, and so forth? Well, well, the subtitle of the book is a, a story with four questions to help you thrive in change, keep climbing, and enjoy relentless improvement. So when I see that, the, the first question I have you, you have to know is, well, what are these four questions? So why don't, why don't we kind of highlight the four questions and then uh, maybe dive into one of those? Yeah, well, uh, the, the story begins, and it does use kind of the metaphor of climbing, and, and the characters meet, 
in the midst of a journey up in Mount Zion uh, at the Narrows, which is a trip that my wife and I had taken years ago. Um, and that's something that always struck me is, is the metaphor of climbing and improvement is obviously something a lot of people can relate to mm-hmm. because I don't think that we are supposed to spend a great deal of time on any summit. Our job is to climb a mountain to make us better, to make us stronger, and then to see what is the next mountain and to always be inspiration for others because we've gotten stronger and we've gotten those skills that we can then hopefully pass down, but it's in the midst of that climb that we improve. And that's where the two characters, Max and Wallace, uh, meet Gail. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first questions that she asked after she you know, agrees to kind of share some of this process with them that her husband had you know, picked up is, you know, what is it you really want? And I think that the single most important part of any improvement conversation has to do with hunger. What is it that somebody wants? Because if there's no desire, then there's not going to be a great deal of commitment to achieve that. So helping the person that you are coaching, helping yourself first to identify, you know, what is it specifically that you want? And the more specific you can be, the more likely you are to commit to uh, that clarified version of your desire. And so I think that that's a really powerful question. What specifically do you want? What is that, what is that thing? Where is that place that you want to be? And, uh, and then what does that success specifically look like for you? And those are things I think that uh, people get in the habit of kind of going through the motions and just kind of showing up and, and doing because it's become habit to just kind of go through motions instead of what is the mountain that you're wanting to climb? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that's such a, a an important first question because I, I think what happens sometimes is either we don't really know what we want. And if that's the case, then we've probably started getting complacent with the status quo. And we're, and, and that would certainly mean that we're not, we're not getting better. We're not improving. We're not doing more. Right. Or maybe we, we have these, you know, these mental images of, of what we want to accomplish or who we want to be or something like that, but we haven't really taken the time to put that, maybe write it down or, or to put it into some kind of detail, especially with like timelines and, and steps to get there and all. And so there's that first simple step of just asking yourself, as you say, well, what do you want? And, and detailing that out. I think that's a super critical first step. What's uh, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Don't interrupt. Well, I was going to say what, what's the second step, but you've got something to say about the first one. So go oh, ahead. Yeah, well, the first I, question. I, and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go past that first one quite new as quickly because yep. I really think that, that that's something that people do as well is we kind of get an idea of, well, we're, we're kind of moving short, but we don't really clarify. We don't get that specificity of what is it that I want. And, and one of the more yep. powerful questions that I've shared with athletes and with students and with leaders and teams is why are you here? You know, every team, every organization is going to have some type of mission statement. Uh, and whether it's Nike or Starbucks or Honda, or whether it is a school mission statement, or whether it's your team's mission statement, you should, when you arrive to that location, before you get out of your car, before you open the door, before you have that first, you know, conversation or meeting, have you asked yourself, you know, why am, why am I here? Why are we here? What is it that I'm truly looking to accomplish with my efforts and the time and energy 
then I'm going to be investing in this team. And I think that all too often we catch ourselves again, just kind of showing up and going through motions rather than really being clear. And, you know, that's a powerful question as a coach that sometimes you're in the middle of a drill and you don't have the same enthusiasm and you don't have that new attention to detail that you want. Mm-hmm. And then you pause for saying, Hey guys, you know, why are we here? What is it we're looking to accomplish? Cause if, if we're just wanting to have a little bit of fun, we don't need to spend all the time we're investing in. But if we want to be region champs, mm-hmm. well, that's going to require a different level of focus and detail. And I think that just taking that moment to to really clarify why it is we're here and what it is we're wanting to accomplish is such a huge part of the rest of that equation. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's the first question uh, of the four, but it's the one that, that, that kind of puts you on the path of success. That without it, the other three are just... I feel like the other three are just kind of wandering aimlessly through the wilderness, if you will. I mean, <laughs> without the purpose, right? You know, without any kind of intention or purpose. Uh, but once we get detailed on, here's what we want to accomplish, and I and I totally agree with that. Revisiting the why, um, I know in my in my own efforts in 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 uh, leadership development, I have to revisit why I want to do this. Why is it that I want to? coach people and teach people and develop people in the skills of leadership. Why is that important to me? I have to revisit that on a regular basis because it becomes, it's a struggle, right? It's not easy. And so when it becomes a struggle or or maybe I get discouraged, I've got to revisit, well, why am I doing this? Just like kids on a basketball court or, or, or leaders of a team, uh, you've, you've got to revisit that, that first step, that first question, what are we trying to accomplish and why are we trying to accomplish this? Because if the effort and, and if, the, if that time and energy that we're pouring into something isn't really serving the mission that we claim is the most important, that's then right. it's, you know, ill spent resources. And, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, again, expectations always determine efforts. And once you set that expectation, you necessarily give yourself yeah. permission and, and a little bit of uh, opportunity to to improve some of those uh, efforts to make it happen. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of an aspect of this. I think that's so important too is when we when we ask ourselves what do we what do we want, what are we trying to accomplish, and why uh, that sets us on a path to success to achieving that thing that goal. But it also enables us to say no to other things, right? Because we've been so specific about uh, what we want to accomplish, all the other busyness and distraction that might come our way, it enables us to recognize that and say, nope, we, we shouldn't be doing that now because we're on a path that's, uh, you know, aiming towards a goal of what we want and, and so forth. So and I, I, so I love that Yes. There are so many, Michael, there are so many distractions that are competing for our attention and for our efforts and for our resources. Mm-hmm. And and once you do clarify that mountain, that summit that you want to reach, I think it, it clears away some of that clutter and clears away some of that fog so yep. that it's a whole lot easier for us to say no to the things that aren't what we wanted to focus on. Totally. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, let's let's move into question number two, right? Question number two. So we've, we've identified, here's what we want. What's question number two for us? Question number two has everything to do with honesty, with looking into a clear mirror and seeing exactly what is there and not what the filters of your positive perception might want to uh, convince you is there. And uh, one of the examples that I used to give my athletes is, you know, 
what are the numbers that are important to your productivity and the role that you have? Because if you're a five foot two guard, I'm not super concerned with your rebounding numbers, but you better do a great job of assist to turnover because those are the numbers that determine your success and our team success based upon your role. So what are those numbers that matter? And I think that honesty and, and, and asking your que- yourself the question, you know, where are you now? Because if I've identified a mountain and I don't know where I'm at, well, I don't know the way to get to that mountain or get up the, uh, the path of the summit if I don't know where I'm starting. So I think that getting a clear picture of not just where I want to be, but more importantly, where am I right now? And what are those numbers that I really need to pay attention to? And I think that not just in athletics, but oh my goodness, identifying what is going to be your dashboard in whatever team you're a part of. And what are those numbers that we're going to really focus on that are going to have an impact that really do serve the desire that we have in terms of that goal we've identified that is such an important part of that process of improvement? Yeah, no, I, I love this one as well because, uh, uh, one, I, I know it's difficult, right? I, I know being honest with yourself is is difficult, and, and it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength, I, I believe, to to be honest with yourself and determine you know, well, where are you now, right? Now that you know where you want to be, where are you now? And and I think it's equally as, as, as important to know where you are now. That way you can figure out how to get there to where you want to be. Um, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, we've developed what we call the leadership calculator. And the purpose of that is to measure your leadership effectiveness, give you a number that you can identify as this is where I am now. And then, coach and teach you around the aspects of that so that you can see that number increase and grow. And so I'm all about, you've got to have something that you can measure and identify. This is where we are. And then as you take the action necessary to do the, to make the changes, we'll talk about in just a few moments, you can actually see that get better, right? That measurement or whatever that is get better, right? And I'm thinking as you talk, Michael, you know, you mentioned the numbers and that number that your calculator spits out, you can't argue with a number. Right. And if there's if there's just a small line space where you're supposed to enter a number, there's no explanation of the number. There's no excuses about the number. There's no, but see, here's what happened, you know, because our clients and our coworkers and, and those that we're, we're trying to achieve the success with, You know, Bill Parcells has a very famous quote, you know, don't tell me about the pain, just show me the baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes that idea of, you know, listen, ultimately it's the numbers that now you want to focus on people. You want to build the connections. You want to make sure that you have all that supportive stuff that we talked about with culture and leadership and being a great teammate. But ultimately, if I'm going to hold myself accountable, and this is really an internal set of questions that I need to be asking myself. The first is, why am I here? What is it that I specifically want? The second is, well, where am I now? And, and what are those numbers that really speak to my success? And to clear away all the fog of excuses and, you know, well, here was the circumstance and this is the situation. And well, a lot of times you don't look back on why you won the game or why it, you just need to make sure that you live with and accept the surrounding circumstances and find a way to. And, and mm-hmm. I think that very specifically that idea of, you know, what are the numbers that are really important to you and your team? Cause sometimes it's easy again to be distracted and, you know, whether it's basketball or business, there are key statistics that every team's going to keep. Some of those can be deceiving statistics. Some of those can kind of lead you down a rabbit hole of effort and the investment of resources. And it really doesn't have an impact on getting you where you want to be. 
Yeah, no, I think I've seen this many times as well. Uh, I see sometimes I, uh, kind of the insecure leader, if you will, that I see them and in, in they they um, they promote the idea that they're they're measuring a lot of great metrics, but really what it comes down to is they're measuring things that just look good for them, but they're not really relevant to how well are they leading a team. Or uh, I see organizations also measuring, like I'll ask, I'll ask an organization, how do you measure leadership effectiveness? And they'll say something to me like, well, we look at our attrition rate, right? If our attrition rate is high, then we know that it's probably a, a leadership issue. People leave leaders. They don't leave companies or products. You know, they'll give me the, a quote like that. But I always contend that that's, all right, I understand attrition. That's a, that's a, a fairly good metric. But is that really a metric that you want to use to measure leadership? Because to me, that's like using the final score on the scoreboard to measure your effectiveness as a basketball team. The problem with that is the final score on the scoreboard at the end of the game, it's too late. You, right. you can't change the score now. The game is over. And I feel the same way about using attrition to measure leadership. It's game's over. It's too late. Your good team members have already left. And so I, I feel like we measure things that make us feel comfortable, maybe because the numbers are good, mm. or we measure things that, uh, that are kind of too late in the game, if you will. I think that's such a great point. And, and we do oftentimes we're going to gravitate to focusing on and to reporting the things that make us feel a little bit better. And, and everyone on your team and the person you see in the mirror are going to be smart and capable and good people. And they want to feel that they have reason and validation to believe they're smart and capable because they want to see themselves through those positive filters. And I think sometimes it's really important to see yourself in a clear mirror. And, and, you know, we used to say when we were playing a really good opponent, you know, a good opponent is going to give you a clear picture of who we are Mm because sometimes bad opponents, you know, and, and, and easy economies are going to gloss over and hide some of those things that would help us to improve otherwise. And so, you know, measuring the important stuff and, and realizing, you know, that, that, whether it's as an athlete or a student or a coworker or a boss, who is it that I'm trying to impress? That's mm-hmm. going to determine specifically where I'm at and where I'm wanting to go. And what are those numbers I'm going to emphasize? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love what you, you know, the analogy there that you use about when you're playing a good team, then that's going to be a real reflection of how good you are. Um, I know there's been times where I was watching a game. I, uh, I, I know this, especially with uh, high school football here in my son's, uh, my, my the, the high school that my son attends. And we had gone to a game here recently and he showed up late and he, he, he got there and he came up to me and said, Hey, who's winning? I said, Hey, yeah, we're winning. Uh, we're up by two touchdowns. And he says, Oh, okay. We, we must be doing really good. And I said, well, really, this is more of a game of who can play the worst. Uh, and it was, you know, <laughs> both teams were just kind of, they look like they were falling yeah. apart. Right. So, uh, I, I know that when you hold the mirror up of, you know, you're playing a good team and that's a, that's a true reflection of how good you are as well. And, and let me add this to this part of the process, Michael, because I think that it's something that was so unbelievably true for me. Uh, this one and probably the next one more so uh, than, than the first or the last. And that is, you know, sometimes 
putting a mirror up. It's easy as a leader, as a teammate to want to show a clear mirror to somebody else. Yeah. Here's who you are. Here's what we are. Here's exactly what you're in. It's easy to see somebody else clearly. And we have trouble seeing ourselves clearly. And I think right. that as leaders, you know, the, the, the thing about staying coachable is it absolutely is hopefully going to be a powerful and a useful tool for you to help to improve your team, for you to share these questions and this process with your team. So you do continue to enjoy that relentless growth and improvement and see the challenge of change as something that's a process that you're going to benefit from. But I think the most important thing we can do is to ask these questions first of ourselves. That's right. And you know, I think the easiest thing for me as a coach was to focus on my athletes. And when I got better as a coach, is when I stopped focusing just on improving them. And I was really honest about the fact that I needed to improve me and I needed to ask myself some of those questions and I needed to focus a little bit more on, you know, cause I think that sometimes, you know, the stuff I share in, 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 in talks or in, you know, the programs that I'll deliver uh, is kind of like deodorant. Mm. Everybody thinks the person next to them needs it more than they do. Right. Right. And so, and so we got to focus on taking care of ourselves yes. first. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when, <laughs> when we started on this one in honesty, that's what, what I was alluding to early when I said this one, it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of strength. And that's what takes so much courage is that looking at yourself, in that mirror and asking these these measurement type questions of you specifically uh, it takes a strong secure leader uh to do that uh, but it's necessary right if uh, yeah. if a coach can't coach then the team is probably not going to do very well and it's a strong team culture that a good leader has built because yeah. you know i was working with the team you know just this past week uh, and there wasn't a great deal of conflict on the team. And they thought that that was a positive. And I think that a lack of conflict shows a lack of comfort and commitment because yeah. if I'm comfortable with you, if I feel safe, I'm going to be willing to disagree. I'm going to be willing to say, well, I see it this way mm -hmm. instead of that kind of complacent compliance. Yes. And I think that, that, that healthy conflict is always a result of people being willing to be honest and safe and vulnerable in, uh, in those conversations the teams are going to have. Yeah, totally. I, I see that all the time. I mean, people that say on our team, we don't have any conflict. Well, I, I pretty, I jump <laughs> on that pretty quickly and say, well, then that's an unhealthy team. You guys are, you're just kind of plateaued. You're not, you're not stretching yourself. You're not challenging yourself. You're not pushing yourself uh, because you got to have some healthy conflict there to enjoy those, those, those improvements and those gains. Um, well, all right. So we're going to move to three now. So moving on through honesty and asking yourself, you know, where are you now? What do we get to in the third question here? This is the one that, uh, you know, as I'm going through the content and putting together the idea for the book, uh, it wasn't just a handful of my players, but I was probably the single most guilty of this throughout my early coaching career. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the focus of the third question is humility. Yeah. So the first one is you have to be honest. The next one is you need to make sure or you have to be hungry. And you have to be honest. The third one, as my puppy dog is shaking his head over here, uh, the third one is you need to have humility. Right. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I was as a young coach, I thought I was confident. Confidence is thinking you can help. Yeah. Turned out I was arrogant and I didn't think I needed help. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually you move to humility, which is being willing to ask for and accept help and to appreciate and apply that help. And I think that, uh, that one of the most powerful questions you can ask is who do I need to appreciate now? What are the things that I've been annoyed by mm -hmm. that I need to 
find a way to appreciate and then to learn from. And those are not just circumstances, but obviously also the, the people around us. I think that uh, oftentimes it's not when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think it's when the student is ready, they'll recognize the teacher has probably been there for a while yeah. waiting to share what they were just not willing to accept. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, I talked about how hard it is to look in the mirror and be honest about, um, you know, where you are currently. Um, it, it is, it is so, I, I guess, in my opinion, even, even more so it's a challenge to then, now that you recognize where you are, maybe what your shortcomings are and so forth, to be humble enough to um, to ask for the help that's necessary, right? To to uh, to go to that that coach that, like you say, it's probably been there the whole time, but now finally you've humbled yourself to the point that you can ask that coach and, and receive the the input that you need, right? That is, uh, and I think a lot of leaders look at that completely incorrectly. They they look at it as, well, I've got to be a strong leader. And, and that means I don't ask for help. I just, you know, I just go in with confidence right. and I tell everybody I got it all together and I tell them I have all the right answers. And right. <laughs> But actually, it takes a lot stronger leader to say, you know what, I, I don't exactly know what we should do in this case. Let's consult someone who, who would know, right? Let's, let's ask for help. That takes more strength. I think it's so rare for young leaders to have that type of vulnerability and perspective yeah. uh, because I was absolutely guilty of you wanting to prove yourself. And part of proving yourself is trying to make sure that people know that you know stuff right. instead of recognizing that so much of, of being effective is being willing to not know, but I'll find you and I'm going to support you while we continue to climb. And, and I think that the, the part that makes humility something that is palatable to leaders, something they're actually willing to consider is if we really are committed to the, that thing that we're hungry for, mm -hmm. then that desire, that commitment to what we want to accomplish, there's going to be a gap between that and where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And if we realize that I've not closed that gap through what I know, and I realize I need somebody to help me to close that gap. That's where humility becomes part of the equation is oftentimes we catch ourselves being annoyed by others efforts to help us instead of being appreciative of right. and trying to apply some of those things. And, uh, I think that that's something that, you know, if, if there was one part of this process that I think is the single most significant change that you see in teammates and leaders, it's once they've taken the time to really be, you know, clear about what they want. And if they've been, you know, honest with themselves about where they're at and what they, you know, presently are, once you see that gap, you can't help but begin to seek out and, and to be uh, a little bit more willing to accept. I think the problem is, and one of the quotes from the story that I love to share and actually I put together, uh, you know, a, a kind of a takeaway token is there is a mug and it's used in the book and the readers mm -hmm. hopefully enjoy the, the use yep. of some of the items that become yes. know, part of the, the people's journey. But the mug is kind of the representative symbol of that third question. And, uh, I think a lot of times we are as leaders and even as teammates, we're already full cups and people mm -hmm. try and pour into us and it just makes a mess because we're already full and you can't pour growth into a cup that's already full of assumptions and ego. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in my leadership, uh, for development firm here, uh, sometimes people will ask me, well, how do you find coaching clients? How do you go out and find coaching clients? And, and I always tell them, well, I actually, I don't. 
And, and the reason I don't actively go out and look for people to be their coach is because of this kind of this third question here. I, I want them to want coaching, right? I want them to come to me and ask me for coaching uh, just because if they do that, then I know they've overcome this third, this third question, right? I know that they, they're humble to the point of asking the questions. Now, in, in my business, I'm going after workshops and, and things like that. But when it comes to individual coaching, I view that person has to want to be coached. Um, and so they have to get to this point of humility where they are asking for that help rather than, you know, because I, I don't think it really does me any good to go to someone and say, hey, you need a coach. I'm the guy here. Let me help you. Uh, because if if they haven't gotten to this point of, like you say, if their cup is, you know, already full with their opinions of themselves, their perspective of themselves, their ego, whatever, uh, then all my efforts of coaching are not going to be that very fruitful. And what makes you a good coach is you're a great questioner and listener, and you let that curiosity lead to another great question. I think one of the things that was the greatest lesson for me in working with individuals and helping them to improve, whether it was athletes or later on leaders, is the idea that, uh, you know, again, you can't force growth and change on somebody because they're just going to rebel against that. Yeah. And I have way too many stories of athletes that you try and force through, you know, kind of compelling them to, because you're going to run or you're not going to play or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's just always ends up being a train wreck rather than how can I use questions to effectively get them to be the person seeking out opportunities. Yeah. And if you ask yeah. the right questions and that's where the book is based upon questions, because it's not about me telling it's about me asking and you discovering the answers yourself. And once you realize, and I can lead you through questions to that recognition and understanding of, well, if I want to be here and I'm presently there and I don't understand how to close that gap, I think humility is the next part of that equation that flows pretty smoothly yeah. if you're asking questions and building some of that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I so appreciated that part of the story and how, uh, when Wallace and Max met Gail, you know, she didn't say to them, Hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to coach you. I'm going, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fix you guys. And no, she started asking these questions. She started kind of getting them thinking and, and, you know, it was kind of that mutual agreement, if you will, that uh, Wallace and Max said, you know what? Yeah, I want to participate in this, you know, in these four questions. Um, so, so, you know, just she didn't go to them. They actually came to her looking for that coaching through all the questions that she was asking. Uh, so I really appreciated that part of the story. Um, well, let's get to our final fourth question then. Uh, so we've gotten, we're, we're hungry now and, uh, we are honest about ourselves. We're being humble. We're ready for help. Now what's our fourth question. So we're rounding the bases, come around third. Yeah. Heading home. yeah. Uh, the fourth part of that process. And again, leading with questions that is, I think the greatest way to not just lead, but obviously to help people to grow through that coaching of questions is, you know, once you give them a chance to identify that hunger and to be clear about and honest about who and where they are and to achieve that level of humility where they're willing to find somebody who would be a great mentor and ask and apply and appreciate those ideas. I think the next thing is 
then you got to start doing something different because mm-hmm. thinking differently is a huge part, yeah. but thinking differently doesn't cause different results. It's what do I act upon? Mm-hmm. Because there's a huge difference between knowing and doing. And the difference between knowing and doing is again, caring enough about those results that I begin to take action. That's right. And uh, that last part is habits. And what are those habits? What are those things that you're going to commit to implementing? They're going to be evidence of that internal commitment that you've made. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I got to acknowledge this about myself for a long time. Well, I've always kind of considered myself a, you know, a constant learner and, and uh, especially in adulthood, I've been a, a, you know, an avid reader and things like that. But for whatever reason, for a long time, I had this mental trigger in my mind, if you will, that as long as I read the book and I understood the concept and now I know the concepts, I, I mentally put a check mark by that and said, okay, done. But I didn't actually then go and do those things. I didn't implement those things. I was learning a lot of stuff, but I wasn't going and implementing those things, right? And so I love this last step of, okay, through through coaching, we're learning some new things that we need to be doing. Now it's about these habits. It's about making the changes uh, that we need to be making. So this, this fourth this fourth question, if you will, for me, it's where the rubber meets the road, right? Oh, and, and you know, your your statement about having read books, you know, and, and I'm sure you as, as somebody who you know, kind of goes through and consumes leadership books and wants to continue to grow. And again, we grow ourselves. We can help to inspire and grow others. But that question of, you know, how many books have you read is insignificant next to how many books have you applied? That's right. And, and I think that that idea of taking habits and, you know, what are you doing occasionally now that you need to do consistently? What are those things that you need to stop doing that are those distracting habits that you can make you because you only have so many hours in the day. So what is it that I'm going to stop based upon that honesty of the numbers that I really need to focus on that become habits that are really productive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, this is for me, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. And, and I, and I agree with you that uh, the much more um, the, the, the much better metric is, how much knowledge have you applied or how many books have you read and applied more so than just how many have you read? It's really about the application. And I, I'd prefer to be uh, the person that has, um, you know, consumed less content or read fewer books, but applied them all than, than the person that's just, you know, knocking out a book a week, but you don't see any change. You don't see any habits. You don't see any results from that learning, um, you, you know, it, on, on a basketball court, if the things that you learn in practice, if you don't do them in the game, you don't win the game, right? Absolutely. Well, well, so I, I know we, we've kind of gone through all the four questions here, Sean. Is there any other aspect maybe of staying coachable that we – we haven't really highlighted that you just feel like, yeah, we should, we should definitely talk about that with the audience. Yeah. One of the, and one of the quotes that I share on the book's website, and if you'll go, obviously this is the book itself, staying coachable mm-hmm. would love for people to pick up. It is by the time that this will air, it will have actually been launched. So you've got not just the ebook, but the paperback and the audible version that are all available. Um, 
But I think that one of the things on the book's web page that I continue to come back to that is kind of at the beginning of the of the story and, and, and later on as well mm-hmm. is that idea of frustration. The reason that you're going to pick up a book is because there's something that's an itch that you know needs to be scratched because, yeah. you know, as a leader or as a teammate, there's something where I do have a challenge or or a change that I know I, I may need to address uh, or some circumstance that is going to need me to be a little bit different in some capacity and to not rest on that plateau. Cause I think it's easy sometimes to become complacent. And once we've made that commitment to climb a new mountain, you know, the idea of, of allowing frustration to be a catalyst for success is a huge part of all of our lives. Cause at some point there's going to be some area of our life that we're going to be frustrated by. And I think that you can apply these questions and, and some of the lessons and, and so much more of the, the information that's shared in the book in the book and the story uh, to so many different areas of your life, not just professional, but absolutely personal as well. Yeah. You know, I, again, I think that's a, a really good point, Sean. I, as a leader, we're going to find ourselves frustrated at some point in time. We're going to find ourselves frustrated. And, and when we're in that moment, we don't always recognize, but the source of our frustration is the fact that in and of ourself, we don't know how to solve whatever the problem is that's frustrating us, right? If we knew how to solve it, we would just solve it and you know the frustration would be gone. But part of the frustration is, I don't know how to do this. And so what that means is we need to be coached and we need to be coachable. So I would say to the, the leaders that are listening there, if you find yourself as a frustrated leader, then I would submit to you that either you need to be coachable in that moment and go and find, you know, humble yourself, go find the help and so forth. Or it may be that you've got a a team of of people that they are not being coachable. And and then if that's the case, then it's your responsibility to to lead them away in a way that would – that would make them coachable as well. I mean, I'm sure you had plenty of, of uh, uh, basketball players that, that came onto the team that were not coachable to start with, but it, as the coach, it was your uh, your job to make them coachable as well. And, and that's what we've got to do as leaders. In either case, whether it's the leader that needs to be coachable or team members that need to be coachable, I feel like your book is definitely going to um, equip the leaders to do that. Thank you very much. And again, I'm thrilled to be able to share. And I I think that you just mentioned something that that so bears repeating the idea that whether it's a leader or a teammate, that idea of asking questions rather than compelling really opens the door and, and, and frustration is always going to be the distance between what we expected and what we're presently getting. And if we really have a hunger and if we're really honest, that's going to lead us to the humility that allows us to open those doors of conversation with people that can be mentors, that can provide some of that information and, uh, and fill our cup with something other than assumptions and ego. Yeah. Well, Sean, I I definitely want you to tell the audience here uh, how they can get their hands on the book. Uh, But other, you know, there may be some listeners also that would want to connect with you in a deeper way than just just purchase the book and read the book. So how can we get the book? But then also, how can we uh, how can we find out more about what you and you're you're doing? I would be thrilled for them to grab a copy of the book, obviously, not just for themselves, but for their team, read it together, get better together, have these conversations, ask yourselves those questions and share some of the answers together. I think sometimes when we ask those questions in a team meeting, 
we're sometimes surprised at what other people are sharing when we make assumptions about what they're thinking. We don't give them a chance to really share what their thoughts are. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to connect with your listeners. If I can be a resource for you in the future, I would be thrilled to help you in any way that I can. You know, it's one of the reasons I love being on and having a conversation with Michael. I think he has such a servant's heart in terms of helping leaders to grow and wanting to have better teams because you've got better people leading and being part of. Uh, you can find me online at greatresultsteambuilding.com, specifically for the book. You can find that at stayingcoachable.com. Uh, and then in terms of social media, I'm available on most any platform, uh, whether it's uh, you know Sean Glaze or Lead Your Team. But uh, one of the things that I would say specific to implementing the ideas in the book is they can go to that book website, stayingcoachable.com, and down towards the bottom of that page, there's an application guide you can click on. There's no opt-in. It's just an automatic PDF download that's available for you and your team to benefit from applying the information that you're really going to enjoy reading about in the story. Awesome. I'm glad that's available because, you know, we talked about that that fourth and final where the rubber meets the road of, of making application of, of this these this content. So I'm glad that's available to them. And I'll have links to all of that, to to the book itself, uh, on your website and in, in, in uh, your social handles and all that. I'll have links to all of that uh, in the show notes of the episode. But, but Sean, I, again, phenomenal book. I really, really enjoyed reading it. I know I'm a better leader for having read it. And I also know that we've all, me as well as the audience here, we're all better leaders for having spent some time with you here today as well. So thanks so much for being here. Thrilled to have had the opportunity. Always enjoy our conversations, Michael. Thank you. There you go, my friend. Again, a tremendous book. I said it there to Sean. I'm a better leader because I have read this book and I know you will be as well. So be sure you check that out. Stayingcoachable.com. That's where you can find the book. You can also find links to Sean and, and his book and other things uh, in the show notes of this particular episode. Head, head over to rookieleaders.com. This is episode number 73. You can find the show notes and links to everything that Sean is doing there, but be sure you get his book great book. I can't encourage you or I can't recommend this book enough. So be sure you check that out and reach out and connect with Sean as well uh, in social media and so forth. But thanks again so much, Sean. I, I hope you're listening. Thanks again so much for spending your time with us, sharing your knowledge with us. As I said, we're better leaders having spent some time with you. So thank you so much for that. And then before I let you all go uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you're interested in coaching, head over to credibleleaders.com forward slash coaching. You can connect with me there and we can talk about your options for leadership coaching. So I hope you'll take advantage of that until I speak to you again next week. Be blessed and lead well. This episode of the Rookie Leaders Podcast has ended, but never fear. You can find other binge-worthy podcasts and episodes at rookieleaders.com. If you like this episode, please rate and write a review in iTunes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And remember to share this episode with your friends and colleagues looking for leadership lessons of their own. We appreciate your support. For more great leadership content, head over to credibleleaders.com.